The Aggies, the Jazz, the high schools. If it's the sport you care about, we're talking about it. The Full Court Press on Sports Talk Radio, 106.9 FM, 1390 AM. The Fan. Hello and happy Tuesday, everybody. Welcome to the Full Court Press. Eric France and RJ Salveson live from the Cashfly Media Group studio. Alive from the studio. 1069 FM, well, I was until I biffed it. 1069 FM, 1390 AM, streaming on 1069thefan.com. And of course, if you're doing it through the mobile app, the 1069 The Fan mobile app, where you can text into our show, 435 339 to text in 435 435- Three three nine zero three two one. Hi, Eric. Hi. I found this in here, and uh, I thought I'd just you know <laughs> display that. So that you can see. That's your handwriting. That is not my handwriting. Yes, it is. That is it, not my handwriting. That's not AJ's because that's not good hand. I mean, his is not good handwriting. It says you are late. Well, we're not late. We're here. We were on time. <laughs> Barely. It I like that little somersault when. or whatever it was, oh, that drop man. and roll. Now we got a freaking Down the hallway burn. and your shoe went flying. <laughs> Coming into the studio today. Boy, did you kick my shoe into here? <laughs> I just heard boom, boom, and I'm like, is that my shoe? I was 15 bucks was at Walmart, shoe. dang it. What's your shoe? <laughs> if you want to text into the show, you know you're always welcome to. You can either do it through the mobile app or you can text in from your own phone, own messaging device, 435 435- Three three nine zero three two one. A lot to get to today. Utah State adds a new assistant coach. We've got a new player coming. In fact, he comes from Arkansas State. Who uh, a quarterback who split reps in Arkansas State now headed to Utah State. We'll talk about what that means for the guys already in line in the pecking order at Utah State, and if there's any competition there that you need to know about. Um, that is imperative to the quarterback grow, which we have at Utah State already at this point. Uh, Utah Jazz get their win on the road over the Oklahoma City Thunder in ugly fashion. Uh, was a really ugly basketball game to watch all the way around. In fact, there was a lot of ugly basketball yesterday going on in all sorts of ways. Uh, we got our stat that blew our mind, our player of the week, and much, much more here on the Full Court Press. Again, very good evening to you all. Eric Francis there, I'm AJ Salveson. Hope your Tuesday is as good as ours. Uh, let's start here, Eric. Let's uh, let's start with some Utah Jazz basketball. Uh, as the Utah Jazz last night get the win over the Oklahoma City Thunder in Chesapeake Arena. Finals. Oh, sorry, my computer's going nuts here. Uh, final score: one ten, one oh nine. Thanks to Donovan Mitchell's right-handed floater that banked in off the glass. Didn't look like a pretty shot, to be very honest with you. Nonetheless, it does go in. So 110-109. Jazz improved to 2-1 on the season. 2-0 on the road. Oklahoma City fall to 1-1. One one. They will not go undefeated this year. Uh, they are, it's their first loss at home. In fact, it's their only game they've played at home. Uh, have the Thunder. Bajanovic in twenty was 23 points in 35 minutes. 5-9 from deep. Royce, Royce O'Neal had 9 points in 34 minutes. Uh, Rudy Gobert had 12 points in 37. He was 6-8 from the field. Uh, he also had 10 boards and 4 assists, 1 steal, 4 blocks, a turnover, and a foul. So he had 1 foul. He was a plus 5. Mike Conley was just vintage Mike Conley. 20 points in 32 minutes. He also had uh, 10 boards, 9 assists, 1 assist shy of his first career triple-double. 
And Donovan Mitchell was not great, but he does finish with 20 points, 8 of 23 from the field. He was 2 of 10 from 3 and had two boards, five assists, one steal. And again, he ends up with the game winner uh, on, the, on the left side of the arc going into the paint with a right-handed floater that banks in off the glass. Ingles in 20 minutes had four points, uh, four boards, three assists, one steal. And George Ning had eight minutes, wasn't really productive. Derek Favors in 11 minutes had six points. Jordan Clarkson in 26 minutes had 16 points. And Oni had in two minutes had no points and no uh, number in the stat category to speak of, but he does finish with a plus five. Eric, ugly basketball it was. Is there anything that you take from this besides the Jazz one that you say, hey, we're on the up and up trend here? Uh, a couple things stood out to me in that game. We talked about this uh, a couple times already, but two players for Utah have been consistently good in each of their three games. Rudy Gobert and Mike Connolly. Um, now, Rudy didn't have as many points as he's had in his previous couple of games. He didn't have as many rebounds as he's had in some of his previous games. But his impact was tremendous, again, defensively. Um, I mean, double-double, 12 points, 10 boards. But he also had four assists, a steal, and four blocks. Mike Connolly, one assist shy from his first career triple-double. Would have been the first triple-double for a Utah player since Carlos Boozer did it in 2008. Mike Connolly has been awesome for the Jazz so far this season. He's been very consistent and uh, Donovan Mitchell, two games in a row here, he uh, he takes his time getting into the game, deciding he wants to uh, impose his will. Uh, it was too late against Minnesota. Thankfully, it was just in time against the Thunder. Uh, and uh, he really took over in that fourth quarter in the last couple of minutes uh, to, to help secure the win. But... Uh, it, he, he was a part of a good offense by Donovan Mitchell at the end there, but also good defense by the Jazz collectively, which helped secure the win. Uh, how they were able to get some lockdown defense made it some really tough shot selections for Oklahoma City. So, uh, yes, it was ugly. It wasn't pretty. But um, I really like the consistency that we're seeing from Rudy and, and Mike. You know, Boyan Bogdanovich got out of his shooting slump later in the game. Uh, hopefully that continues. So, yes, there were some good things. The Jazz found out a way to still get a win, even in an ugly fashion. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just three games into the season so far. But uh, it was a – give credit to the Oklahoma City team, a young team with young players that are they, – they followed the model that Minnesota has put out there, just attack the Jazz – and the Jazz struggled for a good stretch of the game there. They couldn't do any kind of one-on-one -on -one defending. Yeah, I think that's credit to the good offensive power. I mean, it's not James Harden offensive power, but SGA was really good. He ended up, in fact, he had the game winner against Charlotte. Uh, he missed the game-winning layup, or at least game-tying layup against the uh, the Jazz, uh, thanks to Rudy Gobert's great defense. He finishes with 23 points, 7 assists, and uh, the Dort guy. Had a career-high 26. The, the thing about this that I really was just disgusted by was the lack of defense from the perimeter. How many open threes did Dort get? Did uh, SGA get? 
Uh, I thought Baisley had a great night. Um, he had a few, a lot of open looks too. There was just so many open threes that they were taking all night long, and I just thought, where's our perimeter defense? Are we just expecting them to, to, I mean, to, to pass up an open look, go to the hole, and hope that Rudy Gobert bails us out? It just that really bothered me. Well, I, I think there were stretches where, yeah, they they had too many open looks, and it was they were getting making it look easy. But I think that the perimeter defense got better as the game went on. Uh, one of the things that really frustrated me was. Uh, through a large stretch of the game, they just went one-on-one against the Jazz. Just drive at him, go one-on-one, and if there's nothing there, kick out to the open guy, wherever he might be. And it was just the same play. Just like what we saw, um, you know, D'Angelo Russell. Wait, is that his name? For Minnesota? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it is Russell. So I yeah. had to think about it too. So uh, he kept doing the, the screen and roll play against the Jazz over and over and over again. Uh, it was kind of a similar thing for Oklahoma City through a big stretch of the game. Go one-on-one against your guy, uh, attack the basket, then uh, just kick out to find the open guy. It wasn't a complicated offensive system, and they kept beating Utah with it. Now, they, the Jazz definitely did clamp down defensively in the fourth and uh, and did a much better job of, of containing some of that. But, um, yeah, that was, uh, that was a little... Frustrating and maybe a little embarrassing for this Jazz team, which should be a better defensive team, kind of struggle with that for large stretches. Al Holford finishes with 11 points for the Thunder, who, by the way, with this loss, snaps a 17-game winning streak versus the Utah Jazz in regular season home games. The Jazz had lost 17 straight games against the Thunder on the road. That's incredible. I, I had no idea the Jazz were that bad in Oklahoma City. That's amazing. The last <laughs> time they beat the Oklahoma City Thunder. I think Thunder, Russell Westbrook has a lot to do with that. So does Kevin Durant because the yes. last time that the Thunder had lost to the Jazz in Chesapeake Arena was October 31st on 2010. Been 10 years, Eric, since the Jazz had beaten the Thunder inside of the Thunder Arena. Again, the Utah Jazz were... Um, it, there were scoring droughts that weren't at great times. Oklahoma City had an 8-0 run to start the fourth quarter. Uh, they had a 7-0 run in the middle of the third quarter. Uh, Utah had an answer with 11 straight points in that fourth quarter. Again, the final six by Mitchell. In fact, Mitchell had the final 12 uh, of the game for the Utah Jazz. But it was a back-and-forth game. I'm worried about Mitchell doing too much again. Where Mitchell's trying to create too much. And by the way, he missed a lot of open looks too. I think he had three wing looks from three that he missed. I yeah. mean, it's, I think he's trying to do too much and then he exhausts himself and then he can't make open shots. Yeah, uh, he's the outside shot's not really there um, early on right now. I mean, yes, he looked good in the, in the opener. Everybody was hitting their shots in the opener. But since then, yeah, he's he's really struggled with his with his shot. Um and then he he's uh, he's trying to create and attack the rim, and sometimes it works great. Sometimes he gets bottled up with nowhere to go, and it can be a problem. Uh, I know that in the next progression of his game, he is trying to force the action a little bit more and get to the free throw line more, and get more points just at the free throw line. But um, you know, him taking a little bit too long in the game to start to kick it into gear, it can, it can be problematic. Uh, it, that was a problem against the, the Timberwolves, and it was a, a problem for a good chunk of the game 
against Oklahoma City. I mean, what he got uh, 12 points in the fourth quarter, and that's awesome. But if he was, you know, playing at a decent level for much of the rest of the game, instead of a 20 point night, he could have had a 35 point night. The Utah Jazz now get ready for their entry date into the year of 2021 with a New Year's Eve game against the Phoenix Suns. That'll be inside of Vivint Smart Home Arena in front of about 1,900 fans. That'll be on NBA TV. And then the following night, they face the LA Clippers at home again. That's at 7 o'clock. And then it's that long, strenuous road trip. San Antonio, Brooklyn, New York, Milwaukee, Detroit, Cleveland, and Washington all on the road. One home game against Atlanta before they're back on the road to hit to face the Denver Nuggets, and then they have a string of home games right after that. So really key that they continue to win these home games, or I guess that they get these next two games at home, Phoenix and LA, because winning at San Antonio, Brooklyn are going to be very tough. I think New York's a gimme. Milwaukee, Detroit, I think are tough games. Uh, Cleveland's going to be interesting. Washington's always a wild card. So if you can get Phoenix in L.A., I think that gives you a little bit of momentum going into that tough road trip. I think Phoenix is easier than L.A., of course. But having the Clippers at home and being back-to-back games at home, I think definitely helps the Utah Jazz. Yeah, being able to come back home for a little bit because uh, is going to be good because then they go out on this long, extended East Coast road trip. So uh, important to get that win last night. Uh, come home uh, with some tough teams, but uh, better to have them, those games on your court before you head out on a, lo- a long trip. And you're not going to yeah. see Salt Lake City again until near the later late end That's of the crazy. month. That's crazy. That's amazing. Uh, really quickly, again, to put a capper on last night's game against the Oklahoma City Thunder. Again, final score in Chesapeake Arena Jazz. 110, Thunder 109. Uh, with the double-double of 12 points, 10 boards for Gobert, it's his 250th double-double for the Jazz. That's third in franchise history behind Carl Malone, who has 799, and John Stockton, who has 714. Uh, the Bogdanovich, uh, he received a technical foul, by the way, following uh, Clarkson's dunk. By the way, and Bogdanovich hurt his wrist as well, his surgically repaired wrist. Said he was okay, had to shake it off a little bit, um, but he also, but he did get a technical uh, in last night's game. Um, and that's his first one of the season. And I think it's only a second one with the Utah Jazz. I think he's only got one other one, if I'm not mistaken, uh, going uh, way back into last year. So, uh, yeah, but again, great win for the Utah Jazz. I mean, you got to find ugly ways to win ball games. sometimes. That's how the NBA is, even in a 72-game schedule. Uh, but now the Jazz, again, turn their attention to the Phoenix Suns on New Year's Eve night. Clippers the following day to celebrate New Year's Day. And then that string of road games again for the Utah Jazz. Yeah, and that, that Phoenix Suns team, as we've We've talked about that's a dangerous team. They're a good team. Yeah. Chris Paul running the point. They got Devin Booker who can fill up. Uh, and he's given the Jazz sh- problems. Put too. up a lot of shots. Yeah, uh, they got some young talent or, or, that's uh, been developing in their system and uh, playing teams pretty tough. So that that's going to be a tough challenge for Utah. Let's go back to some other games last night around the NBA. Grizzlies over the Nets. How about that one? One sixteen, one eleven. Grizzlies get their first win of the year. Nets fall to 2-2. Two and two. Hawks over the Pistons. And they had to do it late without John Morant. With That's that, right. Uh, had the, uh, rolled his ankle. And they, they did an x-ray. There's no torn, uh, is it ligaments, right? No torn ligaments in the ankle. So he, he'll be out for a while, but not out for the season. That's good news for the Memphis Grizzlies. Hawks over the Pistons, 128-120. Trey Young finishes with 29 points. Rockets fall to the Nuggets. In fact, they get clobbered pretty good. Even though James Harden has 34 points, 6 boards, 8 assists, 124-111 is your final score. 
uh, in Denver. And then the Trailblazers beating the Lakers. Uh, Damian Lillard with 31 points, 4 boards, 5 assists, 115-107 over the Lakers, who fall to 2-2. and Trailblazers improve to 2-1 and early here in the year. Uh, Blazers might be a better team. And by the way, the Blazers might be a better team than I thought they would be. And the Minnesota Timberwolves are much better than I expected them to be as well. That's two teams who surprised me. I know we're three games in. Watch out for those guys, though. Yeah, that's true. I, I think that um, you know some of these teams that didn't go to the bubble, they, they're they not physically as exhausted. Yeah. spent. Uh, they, they're hungry for basketball because they haven't really been able to do it in an organized fashion on a court in a game that means anything since, uh, you know, eight months ago, nine months ago. So they're, they're very hungry. So you, you can't overlook those teams that traditionally you would think, eh, they're going to be pushovers. Because those are teams that are very hungry to play basketball. They haven't been able to see action in a long time. By the way, the uh, Oklahoma City Thunder loss means that there's no undefeated teams in the Western Conference. However... There's still a couple on the Eastern Conference side. Surprisingly, Cavaliers are one of those. The host of Knicks tonight in Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, the Warriors are at the Pistons. Pistons are 0-3, Warriors 1-2. That's in Little Caesars Arena in Detroit. Celtics at the Pacers, who are also undefeated. That's in Baker's Life Fieldhouse in Indianapolis, home of the NCAA tournament. Raptors at 76ers. Raptors are surprising 0-2 to start the season. Bulls at Wizards. Two teams looking for their first win. The Sam Merrill-led Bucks will be at the <laughs> Miami Heat. By the way, Sam Merrill, and uh, yes, you do not have trouble with your hearing when I say this, leads the league in NBA three-point percentage. How? Because he hasn't missed yet. That's right. He's shooting 100% from arc from the, from the arc so far this season. They're in American Airlines Arena to face the Miami Heat. That's a big one. That'll be on TNT tonight. Magic at the Thunder. Pelicans will be the Suns. Will be the nightcapper for TNT. Zion Williamson versus Devin Booker. Timberwolves at the Clippers. And Nuggets at the Kings. That will cap off the NBA Tuesday night of basketball. Uh, I mean, I, I, again, I know we're three games in, Eric. So this is an unfair question to ask you. Is there a possibility that the Eastern Conference overall and all around is better than the Western Conference this year in regards of talent? Again, overall, all around, and talent-wise, is the Eastern Conference better than the Western Conference this year? Um, I, I, I think I, I think the... That's a good question. I, I think one through eight... Uh, it's. I think it's kind of hard. Uh, I think if you were a one through six, I think you could probably make lean a little bit more to the to the east than you do would to the to the west. But if you go one through eight or one through nine, it's more even, and I'd probably lean a little more to the left to the west. Wow, I I feel like the east has gotten so much better. I mean, again, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving playing for the Nets really does help. But I just, I mean, the overall talent of basketball, I think, has gotten so much better than it has in the past few years. And that might seem like a ho-hum, obvious-to-me statement. But you look at where the Western Conference used to be, right? I mean, with Kevin Durant, Curry, Thompson, uh, even an aging Brian at one point, God rest his soul, uh, Leonard. Harden, but Harden isn't what he used to be, though. I still feel like, I mean, Harden's taking a, a lot of shots. 
because there's nobody else to be a good shot maker consistently on the Houston Rockets. I mean, right now, and again, three games in, do you put a Harden in, do you expect to put Harden in that MVP conversation by year's end? No. I I think there'll be too much drama around what's going on with him. Amen. I'm with you. And so, I, I, I think teams will... Will figure Houston out a little bit more because in in years past he's always had somebody else that can be dangerous to an opponent. I don't really know who's dangerous on that team right now, outside of James Harden. And That's so team point. defenses can can change and, and collapse and focus on James Harden, where they could do that to some degree. But you're always playing your odds that. Uh, Eric Gordon or Tucker or somebody else was going to be able to beat you. By the way, James Harden right now leads the league in points at 39. Uh, leads the league or second in the league with an assist at 12 and a half. Leads the league in three-pointers made average-wise per game at five and a half. Um, and then also leads the league in shooting percentage right now from deep. My question to you, though, does James Harden, because I expect him to still be traded by February or by the trade deadline, I still think he goes. Do you expect him to be that productive with those kind of numbers if he were to get traded to, say, the 76ers, Brooklyn, or Miami Heat? Uh, I don't know. I mean, it depends on where he goes, what the situation is, and where you know, the the coaching philosophy those- and what's what's going on around him. I think that's too subjective. But I think that he will uh, I would not be surprised if he maintains something similar really to what he's done um leading to the trade if he does get traded because it's all running through him. If he goes to the, those destinations which you've talked about, it's not all on him. He has that ability and he's certainly going to be dangerous wherever he goes cuz he's uh, an offensive talent that is hard to stop. And he can get buckets just about wherever he wants. Um, but he'd be in a system with, uh, in a culture that would demand a little bit more and be very different than what he's what he's enjoyed in Houston. See, but and I just look back back at the production part of it, and 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 the you said the coaching philosophy <laughs> philosophy. There's no philosophy that's going to center around James Harden if he goes to Sixers, Heat, or Nets. There, that philosophy or Denver, or De- especially Denver. Honestly, especially Denver. You think Jokic is going to give up his touches so James Harden can come in and get up his twenty to thirty shots while playing incredibly porous defense? There's no way. And I don't think the Nets, the Sixers, or the Heat, which are his three trading destinations. That's why I bring it up. Are are gonna be on that side of the uh, of the grass either? He's still gonna have to go in there and earn his way with less touches, uh, and again less pressure, which is nice, but less touches, and not having an offensive system built around James Harden itself. It's still gonna be built around Jill Embiid. It's still gonna be built around Jimmy Butler. It's still gonna be built around Kevin Durant slash Kyrie Irving. He'll not be the alpha male when he gets to any of those cities. And I don't think that's any different if he goes to Denver as well. Which, by the way, Denver would have to give up so much. Like, I just future talent. 
just to get Harden. I don't think it's even yeah, worth man. it. I don't. I, I man. I don't know but why people think them, Denver's a great trade. Wouldn't that put them like near the top of the Western Conference? Oh no way! I mean, does it? Because remember, they have to give up bench talent. Tory Craig, yeah. maybe MP Junior. I don't know if MP Junior is giving up the trade. They'll ask for him. Houston would be dumb not to ask for the kitchen sink here. Jamal Murray. Oh, they'll ask for Jamal. Oh, heavens, yeah. And I wouldn't. I wouldn't do it, but I bet you Denver does. I bet you they. I bet you they throw him on the sacrifice table. Absolutely. Just because you're going to get something more consistent yeah. out of James Harden than what you get out of Jamal Murray. That's. I mean, you have a a younger player in Jamal that you could have for a longer period of time. And and by the way, because he's James Harden is a free agent next summer. Right, so uh, I, no, he's got uh, not this next summer, but the year after. So he's got two years on his contract. So, the, and by the way, that next summer of free agency is not really loaded. It's a pretty quiet group. Like Giannis is no longer a free agent; he's already signed an incredible extension, so that's out the door. But Anthony Davis has he signed an extension yet? I don't think he has, because he opted out, didn't he? Uh, no, they 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 committed to him. Oh, they did? Okay. So, I don't know what the free agency pool looks like, but I know it's not as hot as it was this year. And so, if you're James Harden, if you're going to go to Denver, you want to be a free agent for that 2021 summer or 2022 summer because you're going to get paid a lot, especially, again, based on his years of playing, the fact that he'll make an all-NBA team, the fact that he'll... Uh, probably be, uh, if he makes second or first, well, actually, if he makes third team, it won't matter. He'll be due for a super max ex- uh, extension or a super max deal. If you go to Denver, it's a one-year date, a one-year dance, and then after that, you want to be a free agent and test the pool, and he will get paid. That's the biggest concern. Like you said, Jamal Murray, I think, will be willing to stick around in Denver. James Harden, I don't think is. No, he wouldn't be committed. He'd be looking for the next opportunity and trying to fit the... Oh, absolutely. And maybe he decides to stay in Denver. Who knows? But uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see him kind of see where where the chips fall and try to find the the right situation for him in a big market where he can have other things outside of basketball that are interesting to him and uh, pair up with the, the people that he would want to play with. Who would he fit good with, though? Who would James Harden, like looking at a superstar group, is there anyone there that makes you say, you know what, this relationship would work? It didn't work with Russell Westbrook. It didn't work. I don't even know if it's going to work with John Wall. Uh, if, he went, if he went with Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, that's too much ego and too much, and just it's too small of a basketball to help make those three happy. 76ers, I think, would be a miserable relationship with Ben and Jill Embiid. I'm not sure who he fits with if he wants to play with another all-star. I, I think he would work in Philadelphia if Ben Simmons is not there. Oh. Is the Sixers willing to give up Ben for James? Yeah, that's what I don't know. That's a good point. I don't think they are. Nor should they be. Nor because, should look, if, they be. If, if Harden is a ball handler, shooter on the perimeter. If he has somebody that can you know, do things down low, 
and threaten opponents with uh, their scoring prowess in uh, other positions and other uh, areas of the court, that gives him more space because they have to respect that other player. So pairing him with a, a good offensive big man or a small forward, power forward, uh, I think that, that gives him some, some room to work. All right, let's take a break. Uh, coming back, we're going to talk some MLB baseball. Uh, San Diego Padres have went from who to a title contender. Is it enough to push them over the hump of that team that's just to the west of them? I don't know where L.A. is in compared to San Diego. Is that west or east? North. 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 Technically north and west. Metaphorically and literally. <laughs> north of San Diego. We'll talk about the trade, what it means for the Padres, what it means for the National League. It's not the only one. They've been very active in the uh, oh yeah the pitcher There's market. There's more. Oh, yes. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, you know where I'm getting at. All right. It's all coming up here on the Full Court Press. That's Eric France and Amaji Salveson, 106 on FM, 1390 AM in the fan. Eric France and Amaji Salveson here on the Full Court Press, 433 your time on a Tuesday evening. Thanks for joining us, however, wherever you're doing so. Again, if you always... If you want to participate, you know how the uh, drill goes. Just text in 435-339-0321, or you can call in at 435-752-1069. Some major moves being made in baseball, and it stars the San Diego Padres. How about this one? Tampa Bay Rays traded Blake Snell, the pitcher that they pulled in Game 6, who was at 75 pitches and felt great in Game 6 of the World Series has now been traded to the Padres for Luis Patino, Blake Hunt, Cole, Wilco- Cole Wilcox, and Francisco Meja. Me- is it Meja? Meja? Mejia. Mejia. Yeah, you go, Ajay. Yep. Uh, Han Seon Kim is also signed with the Padres for at least four years. That's roughly around the $25 million presidential flashcard range. And then your Cubs, Eric, are going to trade you, Darvish, and Victor Caratini to the Padres for Zach Davies, Yisan Santana, Reggie Prasciado, Owen. I feel like I'm in general conference and I'm like one of those authorities trying to announce the names <laughs> of the new people coming up to the pulpit and just, uh, yeah. just go with it. But yep. yeah, and just like totally like not stopping and not stuttering, just going and then being like, oh, sorry, your name was Hashawa, uh, Owen Kasi, and Ishmael Mina. I'm telling you. Uh, Eric, give me your thoughts. Let's start with Blake Snell. The guy is in Game 6 of the World Series throwing an absolute dandy of a game. Gets pulled. Very upset about it after the game. Do you think that has anything with them? I mean, for the Rays to be doing this much trading and giving away this much talent for prospects, just for prospects, give me your thoughts on where Tampa Bay is, is, is leaning towards and what this means for the Padres. Well, okay, so two things here. I think for Tampa, I think we have to remember this is a that's a franchise that is running by analytics and the money ball. You know, let, let's you go small uh, payroll. Let's figure out who we are and you know, develop people on the cheap uh, within our system because we don't have the big deep pockets like some of these other organizations. And so that's how they ran things, and uh, to you know, to their credit, successfully, very successfully. With Blake Snell, I think we also have to remember that uh, earlier in the series he was looking good, and then he started to collapse. 
And so he was looking good. And so um, they trying to learn their lesson and say, okay, this is about that fringe now. This is on the line where he starts to get loose and they start to figure him out and, uh, and start getting guys on base. So we got to, we got to make the change. Um, now, was he upset and demanding a trade and making a stink in their clubhouse? I don't know. Uh, he was visually upset oh, during man. the series. He look, and he should have been, and, though. Yeah, I mean, for him, as a player, you're, you're playing great. You feel confident that they can't hit you. Um, you look like you're in control. Yeah, you want the ball. You want to continue yeah, to dominate. In the World Series, you should. Right, and so... Can't fault him at all. But how much of a stink did he make after that? I don't know. Yeah. Um, how much of a rift was caused because of that? I don't know. But apparently enough. It's enough where that Tampa they is like, the guy. Okay, we're, uh, we're, we're going to move on. Uh, is it because he was coming up for uh, additional contracts and they just didn't think they wanted to pay that? There's a lot of different factors at, at play here. But for the Padres... They've made some pretty interesting moves over the last year and a half. They've made some interesting moves last year, and they're just continuing that uh, on that pace. Um, they uh, they made some moves with their bullpen to improve them a year ago. They've got some really young, exciting hitters that are catching people's attention, and now they're being very aggressive, trying to uh, even bolster their bullpen with more firepower with uh, Blake Snell and you Darvish. And Darvish had one of his best seasons that he's had with the Cubs. Uh, he uh, When he came onto the scene, he looked good, and then he's kind of faltered and uh, wasn't really as dominant. But then this last year, he was able to put it together again and was looking like one of the best pitchers that Chicago had. So it's kind of surprising. I know that Chicago's got kind of a mindset of, of rebuilding now, uh, which is hard to watch and to be a part of. Um, it, I... I always hope that, and I think a lot of fans of their teams would hope that you can be successful and still be competitive while adding pieces or making little changes rather than tearing the whole thing down and building it up from scratch again. Um, but uh, you know what? If you get a bunch of young players in return, that helps you with uh, maybe something down the line. Uh, but uh, I-, I liked you, Darvish, and it's sad to see him leave Chicago. Okay, so let's do with the Cubs, and then I want to go to the Padres and then finish off with the Rays just because of and how it affects each team. Uh, your Cubs, uh, you got Chris Bryant, and then you've got uh, who's your other pitcher? Uh, closer. Come on, help me here. Um, used to be with the Braves, Kimbrel. So you got oh, Chris sorry, Bryant. You're talking about Chicago? Yeah, yeah. So, so sorry, with the Cubs, Craig Kimbrel, Chris looking Bryant. Looking at our text. You know, you're, you're all right. Uh, would you – and then you, you got Javi Baez and Anthony Rizzo. Do you sign Javi Baez and Rizzo to long-term deals, but are you okay with trading away Kimbrell and Chris Bryant? I mean, how do you handle that financially? You know, you had you had the 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 contender, right? The Cubs won a World Series. It was a homegrown kind of built way, and then like it unraveled quicker than anybody. And I think you would admit this as a Cubs fan, quicker than anybody expected. So where do you go from here? Do you just well? I don't know that I'd say it totally unraveled. They were still a competitive team that made the playoffs, but they weren't able to go and have that same level of success. So yeah, that it, that was frustrating. Um, but uh, how do they – I think it's inevitable that Chris Bryant probably is going to get traded just because they'll get value out of him still. 
rather than let him walk. Um, and they're just on a total rebuild. And uh, they it's, it's a different general manager. There's a lot of different things going on with Chicago. So I'm at, there's a lot of players there I'd love to see still in Chicago uniforms. But I think it's becoming more and more clear that this uh, that organization wants a, a fresh start. So do you take a boulder to the to the whole entire build and say we're going to just restart from ground up and uh, rebuild our you know our team through the farm system? Which by the way, we're going to get to the race in just a moment. They might have the best farm system by any stretch of the means in anywhere in the league, and it's a runaway right now. Uh, but for the Cubs, can you find another star to bring in to help build this thing back up quicker than? quicker than four to five years, or do you have to really start from the ground? No, I think Chicago is one of those places that could be, you know, can be a destination location for free agents. It's a big market, a lot of, of endorsement opportunities. It's an historic ball club um, with national following. Um, and if they, if they wanted to, uh, they could put together a team together pretty quickly. But uh, that being said too, it's, it's uh, only one championship in the last hundred plus years. So, yes, it's uh, it's got a lot of history behind it, but not a lot of history of winning championships. So, that's what's been a little bit problematic <laughs> for the Cubs in their history. Um, but I would look. I I like I said, I'd love them to keep some of the young stars and just keep building around them, rather than take a bulldozer to the whole thing and build it up from scratch. Mm. I, I just. Uh, because there's some young talent there that I think can still give you a, a lot of years of quality play. Why, why bail on them? Uh, nine eight three five. I missed your text, and I'm sorry about that. Eric mentioned it, and I totally missed it. Uh, he says Snell has had arm problems, and the Rays have not let him go more than five or six innings since. Makes sense. But wouldn't you? And I know we've already hit on this like like a dead horse. But wouldn't you say, all right, here comes. You're one, two, and three guys of the Dodgers lineup. If I see trouble, the very first sign of trouble, which is a walk or a hit of any sort, we're pulling you. Like just for the sake of our team, we're gonna pull you to give ourselves a chance here. But I, I mean, it is what it is. It's long ago and moving on. Um, and, and again, that was that was uh, Cashman's call, and, or is it Cashman? Is that it? Cash? Cash. Thank you. I think Cashman is the Chicago Cubs front office guy, if I'm not mistaken. All right, so let's go to the Rays. All right, so here's the thing with the Rays. The former Rays GM is now with the Dodgers, and you see what the Dodgers are doing. If they would have gave that guy, Andrew Friedman, a bigger payroll to compete with the AL East in that great AL, that Rays team would have been maybe a multiple championship winner. Okay, the, the headliner in this deal, as I was doing some studying, is Luis Patino. He was 11th-ranked prospect in baseball entering the 2020 season. Uh, he's, he has some control problems, still does, hasn't got him fixed yet, but for a guy who throws as hard as he does, but as young as he is, he's going to be really, really good. They still got a good pitching rotation, but this young prospect team who has a farm system like as I've already mentioned is easily the best in the league. And if they can build it right, just like the Houston Astros did, and be patient with it, 
This Rays team could own the AL East for the next four to five years. The problem is, is that they gave away some star talent in doing so. Are the Rays going to be competitive in the AL East, or do they? are they also building up and waiting for that farm system to grow into something that's going to help them flourish into a title-contending team in the AL and also in the, in the league itself? Or is it, I mean, is it just going to take too long? No, I wouldn't put it past Tampa from being competitive and still being near the near the top. Yeah, they they moved on from Blake Snell, but look, they they, they got a bunch of players in return. Great prospects too. The prospects, oh, and, and young players that were a big part of their success last year, who by and large are all still going to be there. So, um, I wouldn't. I don't think there's enough reason to say that the Tampa wouldn't be a contender in the American League again. It's a lot of, I mean, again, it's great prospects. In fact, of those, I want to make sure I have this right, and I'm looking at ESPN.com, so credit to Jeff Passan for this, but of the one, two, three, four, five prospects they got, three of them are ranked in the top 100 of, uh, of minor league prospects. I mean, that's, look, the guys know how to build a system over there. It's just taking that system and being able to move it into the MLB, or at least into the major leagues, the show, like the Houston Astros did, and being successful and dominant. The Houston Astros did it really well. Whether they cheated or not is, is I think, aside from the point here. Those were very talented baseball players, and they had to wait a long time to get that thing to roll. But once they did, it was a dynasty, and it was a machine. And it still is, to be honest with you. I just wonder if the Rays can put something together like that despite the small payroll they have, especially when you're in the division of the Red Sox and Yankees. And, I mean, yeah. Yeah, look, Tampa is a team that that consistently, their payroll is in the bottom five of all of Major League Baseball. Man, is it in the bottom five? I didn't know it was that So they just, whether that's because their ownership, they just don't have the money, um, that that's consistently what they've done, and so they have to make moves like this um, pretty regularly. Um, let's get a prospect, somebody that's starting to develop. They look like they have some really good value. Buy low, sell high. I mean, that's what they have to do. And let's 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 leverage this uh, this player which we've developed, which we've grown to love, which is hard to get, to move on from. But in exchange, we get more players that don't cost us as much. It helps us grow our program. But with with the Cubs, like this is a team that had a heavy payroll on the flip side, a very big payroll, and they weren't consistently making it, and uh, they were underperforming. Um, and so this is a, a also a club, a franchise that um, it has uh, spent a lot of money on a lot of improvements on their uh, arena and the surrounding areas, and so they're financially they're hurting because they're spending too much. Yeah. And so that's another one of those things where look, it, it's a it's hard to get to move on from these guys, but for financial reasons, we have to bring our payroll down. And in doing so, can we get multiple players out of the deal who may be able to help us longer term? I mean, you Darvish is what 34, 35 years old. Yeah. So I mean, for pitcher, that's okay. You can play a little bit longer uh, as a as a pitcher, and your lifespan in, in Major League Baseball is longer than a lot of other sports. But still, um, 
if you can get more players out of it that can help you longer term, that's something that, that's a game that the Cubs have to play now and may have to be playing for a few years because of their financial situation. Man, look at you break down baseball. Who needs Jeff Passan when he got Eric Franson? Well, just because you good. asked about the Cubs. Holy fun. heck. <laughs> uh, I did get a text about the Cubs, and we'll get to that text in just a moment. Uh, but let's finish off with the Padres. This team has now built a starting rotation that is competitive with the LA Dodgers. A starting rotation. Their lineup in their one through nine lineup is good. Yes, we absolutely know that. But their starting rotation is what the concern was now. Now, are they as good as the Dodgers? I'm going to say no, but be, I mean, you're asking, that's a high bar that the Dodgers have set, right? I mean, talent-wise, one through nine, their DH, their rotation, their bullpen, all of it is just delicious. But the Padres, I think, have built a team that can at least be competitive with the Dodgers, which is something they weren't, I would say they weren't last year, the year before that, and the years before that as well. But do you feel like that this team can be truly competitive in the same division, the NL West, as the LA Dodgers, or are they still a few steps behind? Well, they're probably still a few steps behind because that Dodgers team is so loaded. Oh my gosh, so loaded! Uh, but I, I think that they're they're getting closer. They're they're bridging the gap. I don't think they're going to be neck and neck with the Dodgers, but I think they're going to give them a scare. They're going to be a lot closer. I again, I like what the Padres are doing. They've got a very powerful lineup, one through nine. I'm, I'm telling you, one through nine is really good. Their starting rotation is what gave them troubles. You know, losing leads, bullpen couldn't come in and, and get a save. But I think they fixed their, at least they short up their bullpen through some minor league guys. Uh, that's going to be a competitive team. I don't know if they catch up to the Dodgers, but I think they're the honestly the second best team in the NL now. I think they're better than the Braves. Uh, they're better than the Nationals by a far and away. Um, it's just if they can stay healthy, they're gonna be a tough, tough team to beat. Yeah, they're they're aggressive. They're being aggressive. They're like, look, we got some great young talent here. Let's let's make hay right now. Hey, three four three one texted into me, Eric. He wants to ask you, as, as troubling as it is with the, where the Cubs are right now, are you satisfied because of that one World Series championship? And I don't think he's being sarcastic. I think he's sincerely asking, as a Cubs fan, are you thrilled that you got you got that one World Series title? And that, look, if we're rebuilding, we're rebuilding, but we got the one title that we wanted so badly. Uh, you know, for for years, Cubs fans would have been just happy to uh, to get the one and say, hey, we got it, and then just go back to you know, just another Cubs year where you're kind of good, you're competitive, you have some young stars, but you're never really going to threaten to win a championship again. <laughs> but I think after winning it and with the young lineup, I think people were like, hey, let's shift our perspective here. And yeah, that, that tasted pretty good. We want more. So... I think the appetite should be different. I don't know that it'll be shared across the board for all Cubs fans because it's always, uh, we'll get them next year. That's always kind of the Cub mantra. But uh, I think that, that uh, I hope that the, that feeling doesn't fade too quickly for some Chicago fans, that they should still demand that their team be competitive and be considered one of the top teams in baseball. Good answer. Let's take a break. It's going to be a lengthy one. Doesn't matter who you root for. The Full Court Press has all the high school sports covered. The Full Court Press. Connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and online at 1069thefan.com. Wrapping up the first hour, Eric Franson, RJ Salveson. Hey, really quickly, just some Regional 11 update. Uh, Bear River faced Summit Academy today. That game should be concluding here in just moments. 
Uh, Weaver plays Skyview tomorrow. Green Canyon's in the Idaho Falls Tournament. Logan's at Bad Loma tomorrow. Mountain Crest and uh, Hunter have been canceled due to COVID issues. And Ridgeline is playing Juan Diego tonight at 7.30. Mountain View tomorrow afternoon at 4.30. Man, just a slew of tournament games and games going on all over the place. Go basketball. Go basketball. Uh, if you want to find any of the schedule updates or how to listen to those games, go to cashvalleydaily.com and you can find all the streams and a way to listen to the game. Second hour coming up. You have- I'm Dan Patrick and this is Above the Noise. There has to be relief in the NFL offices that we are finally closing in on week 17. It's been a long and difficult season. But even in non-pandemic years, the final regular season games are always a bit dicey, a little bit tricky. A lot of teams are out of the mix. Tons of players are injured. So what's the NFL do? They want to add another regular season game. Forget player safety. I'm concerned about the quality of play. Look how many backup quarterbacks are already playing. Do we need another week of that? I get it. There's so much money to be made. Pro football is the safest bet in television. The owners are not going to turn down that revenue. The question is, when will there be too much of a good thing? 17 games might be fine, but will it be just staying at 17? Will the networks be upset if no one cares about 80% of those final week's games? Nothing's official yet, but it sure seems like the NFL is willing to find out. I'm Dan Patrick, and this is Above the Noise. The high schools. If it's the sport you care about, we're talking about it. The Full Court Press on Sports Talk Radio, 106.9 FM, 1390 AM. The Fan. Hey, welcome back for a second hour of the Full Court Press. So grateful to have you guys joining us, however, wherever you're doing so, on a Tuesday evening, December 29th, as we end the year of 2020 been a roller coaster one one that's actually gone more down than up if we are honest with each other eric france there i'm aj salveson hope you've enjoyed your tuesday evening if you're getting into the car just ending your work day congratulations that you made it through the work day and that you're uh, joining us grateful to have you uh if you want to participate in our show you can always do so by texting in at 435-339-0321 again that is 435-339-0321 uh doesn't cost a dime to text us from at least not us charging you but per service to your contract. So if you have limited texting, you can text as many times as you want. Uh, or if you want to call in, you can at 435-752-1069. Uh, a lot to get to in this hour. We're going to recap the NFL weekend. More, my poor Patriots are uh, just getting pummeled by anybody and everybody. Everybody's taking their frustration on the <laughs> Patriots for the last 21 years of dominance that they had. And it's now a lot they're just of, letting lot it of out. Pent up frustration. Oh there, man, RJ. they're just letting it out on my on my poor Patriots. And uh, Bill Belichick was not a happy guy this uh, this morning during his uh, day after. I like reading the transcripts of Bill Belichick the day after. <laughs> I and, bet they're really lengthy. Okay. <laughs> That dude, he was a very grumpy man this morning. <laughs> he was a very grumpy man on <laughs> the sidelines. Not- <laughs> <laughs> that poor phone. He was abusing that phone. <laughs> <laughs> could, dude, could you imagine? Like, Who's on the other end of that? I thing. know, like, uh, well, coach, I, I, I thought we just hired you yesterday, and you just asked me to challenge a play where the guy was four yards in bounds. <laughs> uh, coach, uh, can I still? No, get out of the press box. Give me your credential when you get here. I wanted my pizza hot five minutes ago. I'm trading you for a seventh round pick. <laughs> uh, we'll get into some NFL recap. We'll have our stat that blew our mind. Our player of the week. Hey, really quickly. December 31st is coming up. It's our New Year's Eve show as we put a cap on the year of 2020. 
We want to know what your top 2020 sports stories are. It, it can be local. They can be national. Whatever. We want to know what your top 20 story or your top 2020 stories are uh, for the year, and then we'll put those on air. We'll we'll talk about them. We'll break it down if we feel like we need to. We'll we'll hammer it all out for you. We'll recap the incredibly roller coaster year of what it was in the sports world of the 2020 year. So again, boy, you, a lot of things to choose from. Oh my gosh! And yeah, so many sports. Jordan Love, uh, you know, a first round draft pick. Uh, multiple Bay. high school championships. Yeah, dominating fashion from uh, Mason Faltzliv. Uh Again, local and nationally, Sam Merrill, of course, uh, uh, is going to be Utah on the list. State football fiasco. Yeah, where in three weeks you lost a coach, a quarterback, and then you lost your whole entire team. I mean, it's just incredible. So we want to hear what your 2020 top sports stories are. You can text in at 435 435- Three three nine zero three two one. Eric and I will get those texts and we'll save them for our New Year's Eve show and we'll go through every single one. If we will not miss a text, we'll get them all in. I promise you that. So again, text into us four three five three three nine zero three two one and let us know what your top twenty twenty sports stories are. Again, local or national, high school, college football, basketball, baseball, cricket, hockey, whatever you got, and uh, we'll go through them all. Every single one of them. That hey, time that AJ got a, a sweet. A wrestling mask? Oh, man, that thing was cool. I st- yeah, I actually hung that up on my wall of fame. Did you wear it around the house? I wore it once, and uh, I scared a dog <laughs> next door to me. The dog loves me, and it saw me, and it just was losing its freaking mind. Oh, man, yeah, that dog was not happy, so I haven't worn it since. That thing is awesome. Oh, yeah, I love that mask. The deflator. The deflator. <laughs> Yeah, now I got people calling me the ringmaster here on the text machine. <laughs> Thank you, man. Thank you so much. Just so kind of you. I like mine better. <laughs> All right. Uh, a big news coming out of uh, Arkansas State slash Utah State as the Utah State Aggies have added a transfer quarterback into the fold uh, this morning. Uh, Arkansas State's quarterback, Logan Bonner has accepted a scholarship offer. He's rated uh, as a two-star quarterback by 24-7 sports. Uh, he's uh, the 2,331st overall college prospect in the country. Uh, he's a pro-style guy. Uh, he was at six. He's about 6'1", 220. Uh, and as a junior last year, he split reps, uh, saw action in seven games, went 106 of 173. 61% worth for about 1,100 yards, 11 touchdowns, 3 picks. He also caught one pass for 17 yards. His sophomore year in 19, he, uh, let's see, missed the majority of the season with an injury, but then started the first four games. He went 91 of 154 for just over 1,000 yards, 10 touchdowns, 1 pick. So, Eric, we add in another quarterback. You also have Cooper Legault. You also have the Calvin kid. And then you had your starting quarterback for the end portion of the season in Andrew Peasley. Does a Logan Bonner, do you, is he another Jason Shelley? A transfer that comes in where a coach really likes that guy and says, you know what, I like this guy because I know him. And does that put Peasley behind the eight ball? It probably does a little bit. Um, but uh, I think they still need to compete because uh, – Coach Anderson doesn't really know what he has in what's already here. And it may be that uh, Peasley beats him out. But he, he does know what Bonner is about. Um, 
but uh, whomever gives his, this team the best opportunity to win and to run the offense like he wants it run, that's the guy that's going to get the job. Here's the thing. I, I remember asking Gary Anderson after they had hired Bodie Reader uh, and they were making some changes to the coaching staff when they had a press conference. And I asked Coach Anderson, I said, hey, well, this quarterback competition, I mean, you got Columbia and you've got Peasley. You know, are you excited to see him battle out? And he said, well, we also got Cooper and Calvin. We have other guys that are going to go in there and, and compete for the job. But then, like, two weeks later, Jason Shelley signed with the Aggies. And so, and there was really, no, there was never, ever a competition to seem like Jason Shelley was going to be the front runner the whole entire time. Yeah, it seems odd that we, we heard that it was going to be, you know, a competition and and that, uh, you know, we'd see who the best guy was, but... I think once Columbia could see what he saw things before the rest of us did, and he he left because would it, had it been a true competition, I would be shocked if Jason Shelley would have beat out Henry Columby. Oh yeah, me too, absolutely. Based on absolutely. how things played out, I would have been shocked if 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 Jason Shelley would have beat out Henry Columby in a true quarterback competition. So do you think we get a true quarterback competition this time, or do you think it ends up favoring we go through this whole entire process again of Bonner getting the front-runner spot because from Arkansas State? I mean, or do we actually get a true competition between these guys? Uh, it's a fair question. I, I think that it will be a competition. But, um, look, I, I like I like Peasley, but really he only had one good game. I mean, let's, let's be honest. Um, he had the great game against New Mexico, but he struggled in his other starts. Yes, he had a lot of things going against him, and it's, I, I don't think that we can judge that against him too much. But look, this is a guy in Bonner who's coming in. He was third in the Sun Belt. And look, there were some really good teams at the top level of the Sun Belt. He was third in the Sun Belt. He was 17th nationally with 18 passing touchdowns this last year. Over 1,800 passing yards. Um, he's a he's a good quarterback, but there are going to be a lot of transfers uh, coming to Utah State. We already know some are leaving Utah State, so uh, I think this coaching staff is just trying to piece things together. And uh, yeah, usually I'd like to see the guy that that's been there and put in his time and that he'd be given a fair shot. And I think that uh, Peasley will still get a fair shot, but who knows? I mean, it's always hard to know with the new head coach and he brings somebody from his former team. I think it's pretty fair. A lot of us would assume that uh, this Bonner kid's probably going to have the inside track. But see, and what I don't want to have happen is another divide of the locker room because you do have some players returning this upcoming season. People who trusted Peasley who actually, because Peasley was very well respected in that locker room, was very well liked. And you just don't want to have another divided locker room where you split it in half because there's some guys who are on Bonner's side and there's some guys who are on uh, on Peasley's side. Now, the other problem with it is that not only did we bring a transfer quarterback in, but he came from a rival school just down south where some players already knew that quarterback and were already on his side before, the, I mean, before we even got into the competition itself, quote-unquote competition. So the most, the biggest worry I have is that you don't split the locker room. I mean, trust what you see with your eyes, and if it is Bonner, it is. But trust what you see, and 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 give. I think Cooper deserves a fair shot. 
I mean, this puts him behind the eight ball, especially. Um, well, and, but Peasley too. Yeah, that's that's true. I mean, this and this uh, Bonner, he'll have two years of eligibility. Oh, he's got two years because oh, that of wipes. the uh, oh, the man. extra year that, that a lot of these players have been given. So he has two years of eligibility. Yeah, of course he does. Uh, okay. Well, um, but for his career, over three hundred. Over 3,000 yards passing, 30 touchdowns, 9 interceptions. Wow. That's not too shabby. No, it's not bad. But again, I think the competition in the, Ma- the Mount West Conference is better than what you saw in the Sun Belt. With all due respect to the Sun Belt, top, Conference is top part of the Sun Belt was really good. Multiple teams in the top 25. Yeah, but in a year where a lot of teams didn't play games... I mean, if we play a full season, normal season, I don't think Coastal Carolina's in the top 25. Uh, who is the other team? Uh, no. So the Sun Belt had... No, what's in Coastal Carolina? Uh, Coastal Carolina, Louisiana. Those are the top two teams in the top 25. Um, Appalachian State had a good year. They were 9-3. and three. But you're right, after that, there's a lot of mediocrity and not that... Not that great. Again, uh, Logan Bonner is uh, transferring from Arkansas State to Utah State. He uh, is, already, and as you mentioned, Eric, he's he's got two years still left to play, and he split reps last year. So uh, they'll also look at that, and uh, it, I like. Was Peasley great? No, but was he okay? Sure, based on the situation that you have with players opting out. Um, <clears throat> Excuse me, and then you had you know running backs sitting out for the rest of the year that shouldn't have been sitting it out, um, and you had a new coach. I mean, it just all sorts of crap that went on. Yeah, a lot of. Disruption. I still give a lot of credit to Peasley for the way he handled it. Oh yeah, absolutely. He and deserves I think he, credit. And again, I think that's how he earned the respect of his teammates as well. And you just don't want to see that locker room split of a transfer coming in and feeling like he, you know, give it a true competition. Let him actually. Duke it out before you make up to, uh, your mind of, of who your starting quarterback is going to be. Right, and, and I hope that this coaching staff, they literally and honestly say, we're going to throw it all out there, and since we it's a fresh set of eyes for all of us, we're going to see who the best players are and, and put the best players in the best positions to win, to help us win. And if Peasley understands this new offense and proves to be the, the, the better quarterback and edges out Bonner, Great, but if Bonner it looks like he's the better quarterback to get the job done in this new offense, uh, man, I who am I to get in the way of that? Uh, and by but the way, I think that it's important. You talk about divided locker room. I think if the locker room sees it play out on the field and they see that one quarterback is better than the other one, and the coaches aren't just favoring anything, and they're really giving a fair chance at whomever it is. I don't think there will be a divided locker room. I'm sure there's going to be guys that are going to say, look, this guy has been here. He's put in his time. He should get it. But it's, it's, it's not about you know, tenure. It's about merit. It's about who earned it. Hmm. Who hasn't been here longer? It's just who's the better player. Utah State also adds another assistant coach. It's Micah James. 
UMass's offensive line coach. Uh, cool name. Who is it? And and why UMass? Yeah, that's, yeah, I don't, that's that's a great response. Like I don't. Yep. <laughs> uh, Mike, all I can say to that. <laughs> Micah James will be the new offensive line coach for the uh, Utah State Aggies. That will replace T.J. Woods, um, who was the offensive line coach last year, or actually for the last two years. For and that's Utah too bad. State. Yeah, I, I love T.J. Man, I think he's a really good oh, coach. Man, I, I think he's a great guy. He's huge hilarious. T.J. We need to get him on our show. He's still here in the valley. Coach, you know, players love him. I need to see if he'll come on our show. I'll, I'll ask him. See if you want to hop on. Uh, but yeah, so offensive line coach from UMass. I'm not sure how that one came about and where they, how he, I mean, he really reached deep in to find a guy from University of Massachusetts to come be the offensive line coach. So uh, I yeah, guess it's good for him, though. I. The only thing I think is it's, you know, these guys have connections. They know people. I don't know if he's been part of the uh, Coach Anderson coaching tree. I don't know if it's the paths have crossed on coaching staffs together. I don't know. I don't know enough about the guy. So we got an offensive coordinator. We've got a what we have our uh, we have our running backs or tight ends coach and Chucky e. Keaton. Wait, I think it's tight ends actually. Wide receivers coach. Wide receivers coach. Uh, who else am I? I? Defensive coordinator is on its way. And you teased that actually a little bit. By the way, speaking of which, Miami's trailing Oklahoma State 21-10 at halftime. <laughs> it doesn't look great. No, it doesn't. <laughs> Not at all. Uh, so I, I think that's – are we? I mean, we're pretty close. I mean, now you got to look for a safeties coach. Uh, I think the – I can't remember who the linebacker's coach was. I, I don't know if they've announced him yet. But you would have – uh, I think the linebackers coach should be on its way, and that's it. And you have your quality coordinator, and yes, yeah, so you have a receivers coach. Your linebackers coach is gonna be uh, Nick Premsky. Ethan Morris is your GA. Uh, Chucky King's your tight ends guy. Uh, they're still waiting on the strength coach right now. He coming, and by the way, he's coming from a P five school. Yeah, I think that's about it. And then you're waiting for your DC to show up from a certain P- other P5 school who's getting their butts kicked right who, now. Who is uh, in action right now. <laughs> Not looking great like you said. Uh, all right, uh, let's take a break. Coming back, let's talk some NFL. Yes, I'm going to talk some NFL. I'm going to lick my wounds. I'm going to take this like a man. Good for you. I know. It just, it's... At some point, you just got to look it down the tunnel and say, all right, we suck. And I'm going to admit it. We do suck. We are really bad. So we'll talk some NFL recap the weekend. We have one team that has clinched in one draft pick, and we have several teams who have moved their way up the playoff ladder. Who are those teams? It's all coming up on the Full Court Press. It's the Full Court Press with Eric Franson and A.J. Selvison. Harden looked good in their matchup against Portland. He has to look good. If he wants to go anywhere, he has 44 points and 17 assists. Yeah, he has to do that. Because if he looks like crap, he ain't going anywhere and nobody's going to want him. He's in a no-win situation. That's his own fault. Uh, That's a fair point. He still has to create a market for himself. Yeah, absolutely. Because Houston ain't going to help him out. I can tell you that. Weekdays from 4 to 6 on Sports Talk Radio, 106.9 FM, 1390 AM. 
The Full Court Press. Connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and online at 1069thefan.com. Double audio. I always hate when that happens. Eric France and LJ Salson here on the Full Court Press. Hi, everybody. Happy Tuesday. Uh, let's get to some NFL talk, shall we? Let's do it. Uh, God, this is really hard to talk about. <laughs> well, okay, so there's, I think, a few big storylines that from the weekend. Just solidifying playoff positioning. We touched on this a little bit yesterday. Uh, I think that um, the MVP discussion is kind of been narrowed to just a few people, but I think another candidate is, has emerged maybe a little bit more these last few weeks. But then uh, now that all the games are done, there was uh, something kind of significant that happened last night. Fine. You want me to try? You know what you want me to say? It, I'll say it. Are you happy? I'll say it. The Bills are the AFC East champions, and they swept the New England Patriots for the first time in, since 1999. In fact, they're the first time to uh, it's the first time the Patriots have been swept in a season series from a division opponent since 1999. Is there anything else you want to talk about about the New England Patriots? Oh, I was going to say that Josh Allen passed uh, Jim Kelly. Oh. <laughs> there's that too. Congratulations, Josh <laughs> there's, Allen. There's that too. <laughs> Uh, let's go through the uh, week 16 of scores and uh, games that mattered and why they mattered. The Saints have clinched the NFC South, right? That's the division, NFC South. 52-33 winners over the Vikings. How about Alvin Kamara? Ties an NFL record with six touchdowns. My goodness. Just ran rough shot over the yes. Vikings. 155 yards on just 22 carries. Impressive stuff. The Saints have clinched uh, the, was it the two seed? I believe in the NFC, yeah, the NFC, and they finished eleven and four, uh, or at least are at eleven and four right now. The Bucks will finish second in that division behind the Saints, which really isn't that bad. Buccaneers, speaking of which, beat up on the Lions. Tom Brady was absolutely phenomenal, twenty-two of twenty-seven for three hundred forty-eight yards, four touchdowns, forty-seven to seven is your final score. The Lions have just been bad for so long, and there's no way to fix it. No way to fix it. The Bucks are now ten and five on the season. The Lions are now mirror of that record at five and ten. I still think, Eric, that in a game with the New Orleans Saints, that the Buccaneers would beat the Saints now. Uh, uh, based on their previous meetings, you think that's different? What do you mean? They split the series, right? But you think that. What's different now that would give you more confidence that they would... Uh... Tom Brady's chemistry with his receivers. No, they didn't split the series. The Saints beat them twice. They beat them both times. They beat them both? Yeah. Oh, I thought they split. Yeah, I definitely think the Bucks would beat them in game, in game three. Absolutely. So the, oh, the regular season opener, the Saints beat them 34-23. to 23. But that's that game went everything went wrong for Tom Brady. Like, that nothing would go right. Hmm. Okay. Well, the next time they met in Tampa... The Saints beat him thirty-eight to three. Yeah, uh, Chris Godwin was out. Rob Gronkowski was not healthy. Uh, in fact, I think he only played a portion of the game. Uh, yeah. So offensively, they weren't one hundred percent. Okay, so what's the excuse for Game Three? The third, 
third matchup if they were no, to face I, each other. Because you have a healthy plethora of receivers. Everybody's healthy. I think game three, Tom Brady's not going to lose to a team three times in one season. No way does that happen. I think Tom Brady and the Buccaneers beat the Saints. Out, I don't think they clobber him. I think it's a close game. But I'm telling you, the Buccaneers are a better team than the Saints are. And by wow. the way, speaking of MVP conversation, we're going to get into that in just a bit. Uh, 49ers beat the Cardinals 20-12. to Kyler Murray was 31-50 of for 247 in an interception. But then he also was injured. Uh, he had a leg injury, I think, at the last play of the game. And he had to get uh, helped off the field. So, uh, the NFC West right now, currently Arizona is second to last. In, Niners are last in the division, so they're eliminated anyway. They're at 6-9, Arizona's at 8-7. and seven. That's a bad division, isn't it? Seattle's 11-4, and four, and the Rams are 9-6. and six. Uh, Dolphins over the Raiders in an absolute wild game. Uh, <laughs> Dolphins 26, Raiders 25. The Raiders uh, were able to milk off a ton of time and left about 23 seconds on the clock for the Dolphins to go uh, 82 yards. And so they had a 1% chance, according to ESPN's percentage, had a 1% chance of winning the game. Well, thanks to a face mask where Fitzpatrick's head was ripped off yeah. while throwing a ball that he couldn't even see let go of out of his hand uh, with a 15-yard penalty face mask and a long reception. Dolphins got into field goal range, nailed a field goal from 41, or not 41 out, uh, 38 out, I believe, uh, to win the ball game for the Dolphins who stay in that playoff hunt. Uh, by the way, Tua versus Fitzpatrick in that battle for the starting spot, I'm, I'm taking Fitzpatrick. All time right now, I'm taking Fitzpatrick over Tua. Hmm. You think differently? Uh, I just Fitzpatrick can be so up and down. He can be electric, and then he can be just really make a lot of bad decisions, put your team in compromising positions. Uh, Raiders were eliminated from the playoff conversation. Dolphins are still in it at 10-5. and five. They are tied with the Tennessee Titans right now going into the final week of the season. The Falcons fall to the Chiefs in such Atlanta Falcons way. It's incredible how they continue to find ways to lose. Uh, 17-14 final. That was in it. Uh, that was actually at Arrowhead Stadium. Matt Ryan, 27-35 for 300 yards and two touchdowns. Mahomes also accounted for two touchdowns. Chiefs are now 14-1 on the season in a very competitive AFC. Yeah. Are the Chiefs the best team in the AFC or do you still think the Steelers are? No, it's the Chiefs. They've been able to battle through, and uh, really, that they've been able to w find ways to win even ugly games. Uh, the 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 Steelers, um, they kind of collapsed a little bit for a stretch there, and they uh, they didn't even look that great in this last week. So mm. they're uh, th that's a team that's uh, that had a great early start, but has faltered late. And I don't think that's a good sign as you're coming into the playoffs. Speaking of uh, bad signs, uh, by the way, the Chiefs clinched the number one seed with that win in the AFC. So they'll have home field advantage throughout the playoffs, even though there will be no fans there. Speaking of falling apart, Jets and Browns. The Jets were a team that were tanking for Trevor Lawrence. I mean, it was a hashtag that all Jets fans supported. Tank for Trevor. And then they won two in a row which eliminated them from having the number one draft pick. They win 23-16 over Baker Mayfield and the Cleveland Browns. Baker Mayfield goes 28-53 of for 285 yards. They didn't have their top running back, which was also a problem for the Browns, who are now 10-5 uh, on the season. 
and have yet to clinch a playoff spot. In fact, they're behind Baltimore, uh, who has an identical record of 10-5, so that one is also going to come down to the final game of the season. But the Browns falling to the Jets, man. That's a bad loss. Yeah, it is a bad loss. But, um, you know, I want just real quickly, I want to get back to, uh, we're talking about Pittsburgh. Yeah. Uh, and we also mentioned Buffalo a little bit too. That win for Buffalo, that really helped secure their position as the number two team mm-hmm. in the AFC. Uh, still is, you know, it's not, I guess, totally secure. Pittsburgh may still have a chance to move ahead of them if they, if they lose, but they, if, both teams win. Uh, Buffalo di- does get that number two spot because of our head-to-head win percentage. So all Buffalo has to do is just take care of business next week, and they're in that number uh, two spot. Uh, six eight nine one texting. Cam is trash. Thirty-four yards and three. I know. Okay, I know. Tom Brady's not walking through that door. Drew Bledsoe's not walking through that door. Uh, nine four seven four. Eric text in. I'll start out by saying I absolutely love the fact that New England is out of the playoff, and I'll admit that it's because too much of the same thing gets old, and it's nice to mix up things for a bit. My question for AJ is: Do you bench Cam Newton for the next game to see if Stidham is any good at all? If he has any ability, and if he does, if that ability will make it possible for him to be a starting NFL QB? Oh man. I bench Cam Newton next week. I watched his post-game presser, and I was a little bit kind of annoyed by some of his answers. Yeah, at this I'm point, not why, a fan of Cam why are Newton. You still playing him. I want Stidham to play. Now I've that, been a fan of Stidham it, the whole not time. That Stidham did much better. He was what? No, he 40, wasn't about the same yeah, amount of yards. But he hadn't got the reps, man. Attempts. He was behind Tom Brady, and now he's behind Cam Newton. Like he just hasn't gotten the reps. Oh, 6891's a Pats fan. Hey, you know what? We're going to get through it together. Okay, you and I. <laughs> okay? We're going to get through it together, 6891. You hang in there. Uh, so Stidham, I want to see him Stidham start was week. 4 of 11. Cam Newton was 5 of 10. And Cam- Stidham was 44 yards passing, and Cam Newton was 34 yards passing. It's so bad. It's so bad, man. Julian Edelman has more yards in passing then Stidham or Newton combined. In his career, Julian Edelman has more passing yards than those two guys. That is horrible. Uh, but I think that the point here is that, look, Cam Newton is just not getting it done. No. And, look, it, you're out. The playoffs are out of, out of reach. Next week, it literally means nothing to, to New England. So let's... Uh, Let's give our young guys some chance. Hey, look, we'll make the decisions. All right, you, you fan of whatever you are, just <laughs> let us let us grieve for a little <laughs> bit. Grieve. Let us grieve. In Who pain. does New England play next week? The Jets. Oh yeah. Let's oh, don't play. Oh yeah, me. Let's did them play. If the Jets beat us, that's three in a row. That's a horrible way to end the year. By the way, is losing to the Jets. Six eight nine one will agree with me. We can't lose to the Jets. Like, if you want to lose to the Bills, sure. The Bills are a good football team. But don't lose to the Jets. Ever. That's like the Aggies losing to the Cougars. I mean, that's what the pain that we have to feel. <laughs> do not lose to the Jets, whatever you do. All right, going back to scores. Uh, Steelers over the Colts in a wild one. 
Uh, Steelers were down 24-7 in the second half. It's the biggest comeback win for the Steelers in a second-half deficit in Mike Tomlin's era. Steelers 28, Colts 24. So the Steelers clinched the AFC North and a playoff spot. Bears over the Jaguars 41-17. But for the Jaguars, that's a win. Why? Because they win the sweepstakes for Trevor Lawrence and the number one draft pick in the NFL. By the way, if you're the Jaguars, are you taking Lawrence or are you taking somebody else? Taking the Fields guy from Ohio State? Uh, I, I think you probably take Trevor Lawrence. Hmm. And, and by the way, I, I think I think Trevor Lawrence is more thrilled about going to Jacksonville than he is New York. Personal opinion. Uh, Ravens over the Jets, 27-13. Or not Jets, excuse me, Giants. They're the same team equally. And regards to they're both bad. But 27-13 for the Ravens, so they're staying the hunt for the playoff spot. Bengals over the Texans. How about this one? 37-31. Uh, Bengals are doing okay without Joe Burrow. The Texans suck. I mean, that's not saying a whole lot, but Bengals go to 4-10. Texans now 4-11. Texans just need to rebuild, like blow the whole thing up and try again. Yeah, well, I think you know some of the things that they did during the regular season shows that that's what they're going to be doing Yeah, in the offseason. That's a good point. Uh, Chargers over the Broncos, 19-16. Panthers over the Washington Redskins. Thank you, Dwayne Haskins. 20-13. to uh, And then Dwayne Haskins, uh, who brushed off the media... Then was released the next day. They're just tired of him. You know, it is the the, uh, the 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 success of the Washington football team drafting quarterbacks is so bad. Uh, you just look at their history of, of drafting quarterbacks. None of them have panned out in the modern era. Mm. When's the last time there was a good quarterback in Washington that they drafted? Okay, speaking of which, okay, bring that up. Speaking of which, 9474, Ohio State quarterbacks do not pan out in the NFL. 6891, the way Ohio State uh, starter produces, starters produces, which are awesome QBs, no one should pick up another one. (laughs) (laughs) So, like, there's like, like, hand in hand, right? Ohio State and Washington football team quarterbacks. It just, it never works. And, and but you're right. When's the last time you pick up a good quarterback? Joe Theismann? And I'm being dead serious when I, mean, I say RG3 that. RG three had potential, but dude, he couldn't stay they healthy threw him though. To the wolves and didn't give him protection, and he was couldn't injured. Stay and, healthy. Yeah, couldn't stay healthy. That was the biggest issue. So with that loss, by the way, the Washington Redskins are still in the hunt. At six nine and one, they're still in the hunt for a playoff spot. It'll go into the final week of the season. The Cowboys are over the Eagles 37-17. So the Cowboys and Eagles are still in the hunt for a playoff spot. Yeah, because of their division and how poor it is, uh, they could still win their division. They have the tiebreaker over Dallas based on head-to-head win percentage. And the, the Washington football team could be the number four team in the National Football Conference. That's that's such crap. At 6-9 and nine That kind right of stuff now. just makes me want to throw up. I would rather see the Patriots play in that playoff spot than see the Washington Redskins get a spot in there. That would be better competition. See, Washington plays the Eagles. Yep. Winner. On Sunday night football. Okay, so here's how this works. Okay, for all those keeping track. The Dallas Cowboys uh, wins the tiebreaker over Minnesota and San Francisco based on head-to-head sweep. But... The Washington Redskins have the tiebreaker over Dallas on a head-to-head win percentage. And the Philadelphia Eagles 
they're oh, they've been eliminated. Yeah, they're eliminated. Okay, well, never mind that idea. So Washington and Dallas are the ones duking it out. Who do the Cowboys got next week? You have that? Uh, yes, Cowboys play. Uh, where did it go? Uh, they play at the Giants. So they're gonna win. Cowboys at Giants and Washington. Ooh, both teams could win. So Washington could be in via the tiebreaker. And right now, the Washington Philadelphia game, Washington is favored by a point and a half. The game will really? be played in Philadelphia. Wow. Well, and by the way, Jalen Hurts looked really good. I, I thought he looked all right in his first start. And Deshaun Jackson's back, so that helps out a little bit. Well, I think Coach uh, Peterson, his job is on the line. Oh, absolutely. Isn't that crazy that he won his Super Bowl and now already his job is on the line? <laughs> it's funny how that works. Mm-hmm. Seahawks over the Rams, 20-9. to nine. Uh, Packers destroy <laughs> in, in just dominating fashion on Sunday Night Football in a frozen tundra Lambeau Field Stadium. Destroy the Tennessee Titans, 40-14, to 12-3 are the Packers, 10-5 are the Titans. So the Titans got to wait to secure the AFC... North or South? AFC South division, right? I believe. Uh, Tennessee and Indianapolis Colts are battling out. Right. Both have identical it's records neck and neck. 10-5. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Packers. Okay, so here's my incredible theory. Aaron Rodgers is playing in MVP shape. He's obviously an MVP candidate, with, uh, candidate without a doubt. But he's also playing... That he wants to show off his skills for other football teams. I think he wants to go elsewhere. Play with a team that has talented receivers. Where he doesn't have to make do what Tom Brady do does or did and make receivers look good. Devontae Adams is not a talented wide receiver? That's the only one he's got. The only one he's got. He's the only one who's a Pro Bowl receiver. Everyone else is, just looks good because Aaron Rodgers is throwing him the ball. Or do they have good coaching that's no directing them where to go and getting them in the right no. place? Look, I mean, what is he, 30 and 6 in two years? That's not bad, absolutely. That's really good. He looks good because of Aaron Rodgers. Tom Brady was to Bill Belichick what Aaron Rodgers is to Matt LaFleur. It's all about the quarterback. We're finding that out. Mike McCarthy's not a good football coach, by the way. He's in Dallas. They're not that good. And it's not Mike McCarthy, is it? <laughs> Fair point. Uh, and finally, the Bills on Monday Night Football over the Patriots, 38-9. Josh Allen is, speaking of MVP Canada, a dark sleeper in the MVP race is Josh Allen. Yes, that's that was what I was alluding to earlier. I, I think that it's it's Aaron Rodgers' trophy to lose. Uh, I think that he is, uh, he, he is the front runner. Um, but I think Josh Allen is certainly making a strong case that he should be part of the discussion. Yeah. Okay, so give me your top four candidates in the MVP race right now. And, and, and list them in order of who you think is going to win it. Okay, Aaron Rodgers is number one. Yeah. Um, Mahomes, number two. Okay. I mean, only one loss and what he's been able to do. Um, I'd probably put Derek Henry, number three. Ooh. And then Josh Allen, number four. Okay, so I've got Aaron Rodgers at one, Alvin Kamara at two, mm. Patrick Mahomes at three, and Derek Henry at four. Hmm. Is Josh Allen good? Yes. Is he great? No. He's getting a lot of help from some great receivers, but even in a more incredible defensive team. That's fair enough. I mean, he, yes, he does. 
he does have a nice compliment that has surrounded him um, and uh, that they've really improved. That defense is awesome. Yes. That defense grown is together. easily one of the better defenses in the AFC, in a very well-competitive AFC. Uh, I got a text from somebody asking, so does that mean New England Patriots will be looking for a new coach? No. No. You don't, you don't fire a Hall of Fame coach like Bill Belichick. I'm sorry that 20 players and seven starters opted out of the season. But yeah, not after just one season like this. No. Hey, look, if they have if they put together two or three more after this, then maybe they do take a longer look at that and say maybe this was all Tom Brady and not Bill. But uh but I look I think Bill Belichick's still a pretty good coach. I yeah, I'm giving <laughs> the benefit of the doubt here. Yeah, I think that uh, they By the way, that team got decimated. By the way, this year you did because remember, seven starters opted out before the season started, and Patrick Chung, uh, Dante Hightower, starters, captains on the defense side of the ball. It's a big deal. I mean, it's just it's hard to it's hard to battle with. Uh, and by the way, they got the fifteenth pick in the draft, and I know it's a you're going to say fifteen, so you can't get a lot out of that. Uh, Bill Belichick's done a lot more with a lot less, so. Uh, yeah, let's let's see how he does with another year of full football, uh, OTAs, full camp, so on and so forth. So right now, if the player, if the playoffs were to start today, Eric, here's what you got: Kansas City and Green Bay are respective one seeds in, in in the AFC and NFC conferences. Cleveland's the seventh seed, and this is a wild card game because remember they extended a little bit with the playoffs this year. The seventh seeded Cleveland Browns are at Buffalo. Baltimore's a sixth seed; they're at the three seed Pittsburgh Steelers. Fifth seed Miami at Tennessee in the five four matchup. Any upsets? Uh, maybe I I take a long look at Baltimore and Pittsburgh. So would I. That's exactly what I was saying too. I think Baltimore could keep up with that Pittsburgh offense. Yeah. Uh, Pittsburgh's just just they've just looked too shaky for me in these last couple of weeks. And I think Tennessee's a dangerous four seed team. If they were to beat the Miami Dolphins, and if Pittsburgh were to beat Baltimore. Tennessee goes to Kansas City, and I think that's no gimme for Kansas City. No. Uh, Green Bay on the re- on the NFC side is the number one seed. So then if the playoffs were to start today, seven seed Chicago is at New Orleans. Los Angeles' sixth seed is at Seattle, who's a three seed. And your 5-4 matchup is Tampa Bay at Washington. Puke me. <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah, oh, it's annoying. Then I would say, yes, I'd pick an upset out of a five over a four in that matchup pretty easily. <laughs> By the way, another MVP candidate. Well, not MVP candidate. Most improved player of the year. Taysom Hill should win that award. What he's doing for that Saints team, even when Drew Brees was out, was incredible. Give Most Taysom Hill improved. Yeah. I mean, certainly he did have a larger role with New Orleans. I think that's, you can't argue with that. And was able to help them sustain a high level uh, while uh, Drew Brees was out with an injury. You're such a hater. I'm just I'm stating facts. I'm, I'm agreeing with you. What he was able to do. I, and I hope that Alex Smith is able to get yeah, healthy and be able to return and uh, play in some of these games. Because that's that's been a fun story, too. And when he's been in... They've been able to win games. He's your comeback player They've of the year, a, right? Oh, without a doubt. Runaway. Yeah. Okay. If anybody else gets a vote, they should be 
giving that vote by proxy to Alex Smith. <laughs> again, so that that's what your playoffs look as of right now. Again, everything is going to change next week. I mean, there's going to be a lot of – you'll yeah. see well, some changes on Yeah, this. you've got some head-to-head matchups that are going to determine a lot. You know, Dallas is playing Washington – or excuse me, New York. And New York's not out of it. You know, if Washington and Dallas lose – the lowly New York Giants could find their way into winning their division. Doesn't that make you sick? Oh my gosh! Washington, New York is five and ten. So wait, what would have to happen again? Uh, both Dallas and Washington would need to lose. Which I wouldn't put it out of realm in any way. Because who's their quarterback going to be next week? Because Wayne Haskins got released. Who is it? Well, that's it. It's it must feel like. Alex Smith will be back. Hmm. Boy, could you imagine? But what if he goes down? I know that that's exactly right. How would he come in? Is Colt McCoy still over there? I don't even know. All right, uh, let's take a break. Coming back, I've got a question from a media perspective about a uh, a press conference that happened with a very hierarchy NCAA football coach and. It was a simple question. It wasn't the question that caught people off guard. It was the very, it was how she, or how this reporter acknowledged the coach. And I want to ask you something, because you've been in the media sports biz for a while. So I want to ask you about having respect towards coaches in press conferences. Uh, You'll get what I mean when coming up here next on the Full Court Press. Oh, and by the way, we have our stat and player, by the way. It's <laughs> We're going to get to that. Down yep. the line. I promise. The Aggies, Jazz, High Schools, even the Pee Wee's T-Ball team. It's the Full Court Press on Sports Talk Radio. The Fan. Eric France and Audrey Southland, let's get back out of here as we wrap up another edition of the Full Court Press on a Tuesday evening. Hope your evening has been uh, good. And uh, get ready for another fun show tomorrow. A lot of regional and basketball. Green Canyon, by the way, in a nail biter, 67-66 winners today. Yeah, they were down by they were down six points at half. Hit five three pointers in the third to pull ahead, and they were to hang on to win. Cade DeBoard with 25 points. Oof. Brady Smith added 20 for Green Canyon. Hey yo. Uh, speaking of trailing at half, that's where my uh, stat that blew my mind goes to. Uh, prior to last night's game. The Lakers, when leading at half, had won 59 straight games. No, sorry, after three quarters, according to ESPN Stats and Info. 59 straight games when leading after three quarters, they had won. That's the fifth longest streak in NBA history, the longest since the 2015-16 Warriors. They lost to the Blazers last night, so it ends that streak. All right, for, we're doing stat, right? Yep. Stat. So this, is, uh, the, this was before tonight, to keep this in mind. Kelly okay. Oubre Jr. Okay. For the Golden State Warriors. Uh-huh. 0 for 17 on his three-point attempts. That is the worst shooting start in NBA through three games in the shot clock era. That's since <laughs> 1954-55. His field goal percentage through his first few games, 17.5%. Now, they are playing now. He has made a three tonight. He is one of three on three-point attempts. So he has hey! finally made a three. Kelly Oubre Jr. with a rough start. <laughs> uh, player of the week is going to be Alvin Kamara for me. That six touchdowns was incredible. Uh, I don't care how bad the Vikings defense is, especially the rush defense, which is now, I think, near the bomb of the league. 
Uh, but 155 yards on 22 carries and six touchdowns, easily player of the week for me. Uh, good call. Josh Allen, for me, stood out for what he was able to do. He passed Jim Kelly for the most passing touchdowns in a season at uh, Buffalo with 34. Uh, he also helped his team get their first sweep of the Patriots since 02. Um, and uh, four touchdowns, 320 yards in his performance uh, in part of the MVP discussion. But uh, uh, certainly want to recognize uh, the former Wyoming Cowboy, Josh Allen. All right, let's get on to uh, yeah, what was your, the, the reporter question. Oh, yeah. Okay, so here's my thing. Let's get to our in case you missed it. Uh, a reporter asking Nick Saban a question today or yesterday called him Saban and said, Hey, Saban, yada yada yada. here's my question. Someone who is uh, within the realm of Alabama Crimson Tide media then got out on Twitter and ripped this girl a new one because she referred to him as Saban instead of calling him Coach Saban. As a media guy, when you talk to coaches and you interview coaches, is it do you call on a first name base? Like I watched the Patriot press conferences and the guys call him Bill. Like I mean, I've never called Craig and or I've never done a press conference with Craig and said, "Hey, Craig, what do you think about this?" Like it just doesn't feel right. But I don't think you should be just annihilated for it. What, what are your yeah, thoughts? I think that's silly. I mean, I've I've I addressed Matt Wells as Matt. Um, uh, Gary Anderson is uh, Coach A. <laughs> uh, maybe I'm a little too casual in some of those instances, but um, by calling someone just by their last name, uh, should we use respectful terms as uh, media people when we're whomever it is that we're yeah. we're, we're interviewing? Yeah, you should. It's a, hey, buddy. You know, you don't want to do that or anything like that. Hey, uh, hey dude. But, look, call, just saying him by his last name, Oh, he's that big of a deal. No, it's not that big of a deal. In other uh, news, in case you missed it, Grizzlies' John Moran is out for three to five weeks with an ankle injury. Arizona has uh, imposed a one-year postseason ban on themselves. Good for you. Basketball. I, I mean, just... I think the NCAA can't let that just be the only punishment. Uh, Big Ben's going to sit. Mason Rudolph will start against the Browns. A little bit of a flashback due to the brawl last year. That was always fun stuff. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah, that could yeah, be think about that? juicy. All right. That's it for tonight's show for Eric France and Amaji Salton. Thanks for listening to tonight. We'll talk to you on a Wednesday. See ya.